morning everyone sorry I think uh, I'm not sure if my pack was on or off um, excited and thankful that we are here today and get to celebrate um, uh, some of you who are mothers and so if that is you God bless you we love you thank you for modeling uh, Jesus um, my name is Israel Martinez and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor um, at, here at Redeemer Church Irving and again today we all have this privilege of coming together as children of God, sons and daughters of our holy God. And so as we do that, I pray that we come to worship and learn together from his word and that we rejoice, that we actually rejoice. We're going to talk today about how to biblically rejoice in loss. And this is an oxymoron, meaning it doesn't go together normally in speech. And so let's pray through the power of the Holy Spirit and ask him to be with us, to comfort us and to guide us as we look deeper into God's word, as we learn how to rejoice in loss. And so many of us have been through loss. If you haven't, you will be and loss will come your way. It may come in a big way or in a small way. It may come in uh, losing a game or having your favorite you know, team lose a game, something as simple as that. It may come in something more serious, a relationship um, where you are fighting for something or fighting for someone and you lose in that. It may come um, in a loss of, of something that you dearly wanted. May that have been a job or, a, again, a relationship or some certain outcome or some certain uh, amount in your bank account. Whatever things that you, um, uh, I mean, as you live life, you will 100% thousand percent experience loss. And so maybe um, you have lost your hopes and dreams, those hopes and dreams you had when you were your 16-year-old or 20-something-year-old self, right? And you thought you're going to do this thing or that thing. Um, maybe this idea, again, of rejoicing or rejoin. Think of that's an English word of to, to rejoin, like to have joy over and over and over again. Maybe the idea of rejoining or rejoicing of finding joy over and over again in things, um, uh, maybe rejo rejoicing in, in, in loss now seems impossible. This idea of trying to find joy in life. Maybe the biblical idea that you gain Christ and that you gain life in Christ when you count everything as loss, maybe that just seems too far out of reach for you to believe. Maybe you have this desire to, to re actually rejoice in loss, but you're just struggling. And maybe you are trying to actually rejoice in loss right now and, and just need to hear the gospel hope to keep rejoicing wherever you are in, in this space. Um, if you are uh, um, uh, feeling loss right now, I encourage you to lament the loss, like to feel it, to cry, to let the Lord heal you as you lament and face the pain with the Holy Spirit comforting you um, by your side, loving you and, and, and teaching you to take it one day at a time. Like he says in Matthew 6, every day has enough trouble in itself. That's where we get our, day, our phrase, one day at a time. You need the spirit every day. You need to repent and believe every day. And so family and friends, God's word actually comforts us to rejoice in loss. And I pray that you actually feel comforted by God's word today and that it encourages you to keep believing in Jesus and to keep repenting to Jesus as we rejoice in loss. 
God loves you. He knows your story. He knows all your losses. And he is your gain. And so my encouragement, again, is that he know that God desires your heart to be his and his alone. And so I'm super thankful, again, that we get to worship and learn from the book of Philippians today. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So open up your uh, Bible, if you have a physical one, or turn on your device and have your eyes and um, ears uh, paying attention, but your eyes in the text. I hope that as we study this today, that this text will uh, permeate in your soul and that you will actually retain it and remember uh, some of it and that the Lord and Spirit would use it throughout this week to encourage you. So we're going to learn today in Philippians 3, 1 through 7, that the church should rejoice in loss as they heed the warnings against the characteristics of gospel opponents and know the characteristics of true gospel partners who glory not in themselves, but rather in Christ Jesus. So remember, we've been learning in the book of Philippians that this gospel partnership, living life together, being true partners, having this koinonia, this fellowship, produces unity in the faith. Paul said this amazing phrase, which echoes the song that we just sang, to follow Christ. He's just said, um, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he tells uh, the believers in Philippi that they will engage, um, that they will suffer and be engaged in conflict. And Paul wants the church to be encouraged on this foundation of gospel unity in spite of conflict and suffering that is inevitable. And so again, Paul has used this word partnership, which is the Greek word koinonia, which is often translated fellowship or community or joint partnership or just partnership. And so we've been defining, we have defined biblically this idea of partnership saying that true partnership in the church is an active partnership in in the gospel. It's this close relationship of mutual benefit, of promoting the gospel through cooperation, sympathy, suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and true love. And so, again, partnership is one of these biggest, one of the biggest themes in Philippians. And Paul has given us these big themes of partnership, encouragement. Today, we're looking at rejoicing and loss, encouragement, and change in people. And then we're looking at all these today, but specifically encouragement and change. How do you rejoice in loss? How do you do that? We've also learned that this good, a good summary for the whole book of Philippians is that Paul encourages gospel partnership in the church that will advance or progress the gospel as it changes people and expands to all nations. Remember, the book of Philippians was written by Paul who became this apostle, this apostle to the Gentiles, meaning this apostle to the nations, but he didn't start that way. He started um, as a man. We'll look in our text today. He's bragging about all these things. He's like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's how Paul started. This man who had skills. He had credentials. He was educated. And then he was met by the king of kings on his way to Damascus as the Lord woke him up, changed his mind, and saved him. And then Paul became this guy who knew the true gospel and then became free to become this apostle to the nations someone who we share in that blessing of today. And Paul's letter to the church in Philippi then provides this awesome, wonderful example of what gospel partnership looks like within the church. And so remember the Philippians, they shared in all of Paul's proclaiming of the gospel. And they, um, 
had sympathized with all of his suffering. We're going to talk about suffering and how that's connected to rejoicing. But the Philippians saw Paul suffer. They suffered themselves. They also gave sacrificially to support the cause of Christ. They worked together and they were this distinct people display, on display in Philippi. They would pray for Paul and Paul would pray for them. And they would pray for this progress or this advancement in the gospel. All as this overflow of love of God and people, and this desire to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. They had this overflow of love born in them by the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of people they were. And so remember, Paul was at the end of his life in his ministry alone in a Roman jail. And the last few weeks we have seen um, that he had actually a few people that he trusted. He was alone in the jail, but he had, he had these guys, and he gave us his examples of these true gospel partners, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who served and rejoiced and suffered loss for the gospel. And, and Paul was wanting the church to live lives, he says, worthy of the gospel, worthy of gospel unity as gospel partners. And he uses these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, if you remember, as examples of true gospel partners. And so we partner because Jesus has called us to this gospel unity through partnership because Jesus, the God-man, he, he came in obedience to the Father to be our humbly exalted Savior who has called us to obedience in following him as the light of the world so that we would be lights in the world and that we could then rejoice in him and actually have gain in loss. And so as we learn in our text today, we're going to learn that the church should rejoice in loss as they heed or listen to, pay attention to the warnings against uh, the characteristics of gospel opponents and know the characteristics of true gospel partners who glory not in themselves, but rather in Christ Jesus. So let's read our text today in Philippians 3, 1 through 7. If you would join me again in Philippians 3, 1 through 7, Paul says, Finally, he's just like a, a, a good uh, uh, preacher, finally, but he's still got two chapters to go. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And he says, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so again, as we walk through our text, we see, um, we will see this clearly um, in Philippians 3, 1 through 7, that, that our text teaches and encourages that the church should rejoice in loss as they heed the warnings against these, the characteristics of gospel opponents and know the characteristics of true gospel partners who will glory not in themselves, but rather in Christ Jesus. And so, look at verse 1 with me. And again, Paul says, finally. He, he's getting to his point and still has a, a couple chapters to go in the letter. 
But he's saying, finally, he's like, I'm, I'm getting to this point. I know it's been hard. He's talked about advancing the gospel. He's talked about Christ's humility. He's talked about being lights in the world. He's kind of set this idea up. He's already said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he's like, finally, I need to get to loss. But he's, look at what he says first. Finally, my brothers... My partners, the ones that I've been living life with, the ones that I know and that know me. He says what? Before he says the negative stuff, he says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. So um, some people translate this as the Greek version of the Hebrew, hallelujah. Praise be the Lord. It's just like this thing, hallelujah, like rejoice in the Lord. We sing, we've been singing this song a lot. We're going to sing it today. We're going to sing it a little different with a little, a little more sadness, a little more lament. We're going to sing rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. Like, man, just be thankful. Love God. It's how the Lord's Prayer, if you know the, the Lord's Prayer, right, how it starts when it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's just looking up and seeing the glory of God, starting there, and then dealing with the loss. So firstly, again, we see that Paul says, finally, my brothers, my partners rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the, the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. What is he saying? Uh, Paul is saying uh, uh, that the church should rejoice. And, and then Paul, we see in that second part of the verse that Paul cares unselfishly for the church's safety. He's like, hey, just so you know, reading this letter is not going to get you killed. It's okay. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble. He's like, I know, you think I could get in trouble. It's safe for me. It's safe for you. Paul is caring for them because he knows there is probably some fear in the people receiving this letter, learning, learning about um, who brought the letter. You know, we learned about Epaphroditus and Timothy and how Epaphroditus was ill. He's like, guys, it's okay. He wants them to know that he's in jail, but wants to pass on these words again. There's some thought that maybe there was another letter or maybe when he preached earlier in his life, he's like, I want, to, I want you to hear these words again. A good preacher repeats. A good teacher of God's word repeats. You don't have to have something fresh and awesome every day. It doesn't have to be boring, but Jesus repeated a lot. Some of the same ideas over and over because he's trying to get us to understand what it means to love him and to love people and to make disciples and how to do that of all kinds of people. And that's how we glorify God. And so Paul, he, again, he, he, he's, he wants to encourage the Philippian church with this truth and a warning. So he wants to set him up, but he's like, hey, I love you guys. Be thankful, rejoice in the Lord. But he's like, hey, look out, pay attention, look out. We're going to see the word look out like three times. Or the uh, older translation of this is beware. I was like, beware. It's creepy kind of, you go into like some place, beware. You're like, okay, that, that, that gets your attention more than look out, you know, beware. So we'll say it that way, okay? Beware. For, these, for the dogs, he's like, these dogs, in, some of y'all have dogs, God bless you, I'm not a dog man, I used to have some when I was a kid, and I had to take care of them, and my poor dogs, uh, yeah, it was bad, um, I, I loved them, but then I ended up, it's a love-hate relationship, so me and dogs are not friends, but God bless you people who have dogs, in Jewish Hebrew culture, dogs were mocked, and dogs were like disgusting, so being a Latin American, some of y'all are here, you see a little dog running around. Now it's kind of changed in Latin America, but you see a little nasty dog. We call them, you know, these little street dogs. Like, oh, my goodness, they're nasty. They would bite you. They would attack you. They smell bad. They do their business everywhere. 
That's kind of the Hebrew idea of dogs, like these nasty things. So that's what Paul is saying. It's like a cut down. He's saying, and that's kind of, this is Paul. It doesn't mean you can cut down people, but Paul is doing this. And sometimes you have to be honest, right? So Paul is an honest dude. He's like, beware of these disgusting people. He says, beware, look out for these evildoers. Why is he saying that they're dogs? He's not talking about their culture. He's talking about their character. He's talking about these characteristics of how they are. These evildoers. These people who do evil, and this is interesting because then he says, well, what's the evil that they do? They mutilate their flesh. Huh. Well, he's not talking about people doing weird sacrifices. He's actually addressing um, his, his Jewish, his Hebrew uh, brothers and sisters, those who thought the law saved them. How do we know that? Because of what he says next. So he's saying, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. So we'll look at that. Again, Paul is encouraging the church to do what first? We're going to see he's going to encourage the church to heed or to listen, to beware, to look out. I use the old word heed. That, maybe that will capture your attention. To heed or pay attention uh, to these warnings against the characteristics of gospel opponents. A lot of time in the church, we need to be gracious, guys. We need to be loving. But sometimes we walk in ignorance, and we don't see the darkness that is all around us. And God is saying, pay attention. There will be wolves. There will be dogs. There will be people that will come into the church and do these kinds of things. And we don't have to be scared. He's not saying be scared. He's not saying be afraid. What does he say? Look out. Pay attention. There's a reason he's saying that. And so, he, he, again, he's saying, look out for these people, these gospel opponents who mutilate their flesh. Why are they evildoers? Why, what if they're actually doing the thing that, that God set up early for the Hebrew people is to have this covenant with God, this circumcision, this act that they would do that meant they were in God's family. But now Paul is saying that's evil. Why? Because God is looking at the heart. God knows their heart. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're mutilating their flesh. He's saying, you're doing it for no reason. It's pointless what you're doing, circumcising yourself, because you think that saves us. They thought that their righteousness saved them. They thought that the things they did, the status they had, the religious duties, saved them. In other words, they think that their works, they thought they were right or justified in their own selves, and then they thought the things that they actually did, these works, save them. And then what do they do in that? They brag or boast in themselves and not in God. That's what Paul is saying. Don't do that. But we see this in contrast to gospel opponents, that gospel partners, meaning true believers, children of God, who partner together, partner in the God, that, that, that partner together in the gospel, have totally different characteristics. So people that the characteristics of gospel opponents are those who think that their righteousness saves them. It's those who think that their works save them. Those are tied together. The first is it's like, I'm actually good. That's what the culture tells us, right? There's no sin in you. There's nothing bad about you. You haven't done anything wrong, do you? And then they think, man, I was good. Like, I did something. Man, I may have said that thing to my mom or done this thing when I was a kid and lied a little, but I'm generally good. Like that kind of attitude is, is what makes you uh, similar to these mutilators of the flesh. That is the dogness that is in us when we think our goodness saves us. And then what happens when we think that we saved ourselves is we're proud. And what does God say? God opposes the proud. Imagine God's opposition. That's like the strongest opposition you can ever have. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's how we come to God, with broken hearts, contrite and broken spirits, knowing that we are not like this. But these gospel opponents, 
That's how they, they, they brag of themselves and not of God. You know these people. Maybe you were once one of these. Maybe you're one of these now. You brag of yourself. Um, think of this. One of my friends said this, and it really changed the way I think. Um, all the words that you use, even in joking, even um, uh, at work, these little things that we say, all the words that, think of all the words that you use that are actually used to justify your actions. So example, I will say this like, my keys. I'm like, I didn't lose my, ki- my keys. My kids lost my keys. My wife lost my keys. I didn't lose my keys. You lost my keys. Where are the keys? Where is that? You know what I'm saying? We quickly go. Even those little words that are like, wait, where's the thing? You lost the thing. No, no, I don't know if I, you, oh, oh yeah, I lost it. My bad. My bad. You know, like that's just what we do. We, we love our words and we love to, to, to be right and to boast in ourselves. And guys, we see that gospel um, a, a, a partners are contrasted are totally different So the gospel partners, meaning true believers, true children of God who partner together in the gospel, have totally different characteristics. How do we know? Look at what Paul says. Paul describes true gospel partners' characteristics saying this, for we are the circumcision. They think they're the circumcision, but we're actually the circumcision. What is he saying? We're actually in the covenant. We don't have time to get into this too much, but he's saying we are the true Israel. Remember Galatians, the series we did before this, Paul talked about that. And he said, and if you, in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ, if you're saved, if you're of Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Who's Abraham's offspring? Israel, the nation of Israel, the true Israel. He says heirs, inheritors, another way to say that, heirs according to the promise. Guys, we are the circumcision. If you know God, you are the true Israel. Yes, Israel exists. We're not saying they don't. But the true Israel, the ones who inherit Christ, That's what he's saying. We, in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. And what does the circumcision do? What do the children of God really do? This is echoing Jesus when he's talking to the woman at the well in in, uh, John 4. He says, one day, we're going to sing this little song, a little chorus of this too. One day, true worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit in truth. Not your own truth, not your own spirit, but by the Holy Spirit in truth. That's what a true worshiper of Christ will be like. And so we learn um, that, that we actually, again, are or become when we are saved the children of God. And God's children, uh, those who are these gospel partners, known as the church, uh, we are to have these characteristics of true gospel uh, uh, partners. And so what are the characteristics that we are to have? We saw the gospel opponent, opponents characteristics from the text, and now we'll see some true gospel partner characteristics. What's the first thing he says in verse 3? For we are the circumcision who do what? Who worship. Who worship. How? Not on our own strength. Not this thing that we produce by the Spirit of God. And glory. Like being, we're in awe of Christ Jesus. And then he says this, and we put no confidence in the, cell, in the flesh. They put confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the, in the flesh, in what we do, in who we think we are. And so we're supposed to worship first by the Spirit of God. Again, we're supposed to glory in Christ Jesus. These are the characteristics of a true gospel partner. We worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. That means in the things that we have done. Now, Paul is going to help us here uh, uh, by, uh, it seems like he's bragging, but he's not. They're uh, true children in the flesh. No, 
They're, they're humbly confident. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. You don't walk around in the doldrums like, oh, man, I'm the son of God. Like, yes, you're going to have lament. You're going to have hard times. We're talking about it today, rejoicing in loss. But that's the point. It doesn't mean we're going to talk about feeling it, and we already kind of set it up that way, that if you have pain, you have to deal with it. Many people, especially Americans, don't know how to deal with pain. We stuff it under the rug and go on to the next thing and go on to the next thing until we have this big pile of junk that everybody can see under our rug, and then one day it just explodes because it actually becomes a bomb because we never took care of the issue. And look what Paul says. Again, the characteristics of true gospel partners are, are ones who worship by the Spirit, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the, in the flesh. So there is this self-distrust in children of God. The song we sang in the text, Jesus says, follow me, deny yourself. It's this idea of self-distrust. A lot of times as humans, we try to self-actualize or become better versions of ourselves. And what does Jesus say? Oh, you have skills. Oh, you can sing. Oh, you can, do, you can act. Oh, you can build a big company. Oh, you're really smart. Smarter than Elon Musk, maybe. So what? Deny yourself. It doesn't mean have no ambition. It doesn't mean be lazy. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying deny yourself. Learn to use those skills and things you have for the glory of God. Look at Paul here in verse, uh, verses 4 through 6. He says he's going to help us understand this. Because a lot of times as Christians, we, with the Satan has trapped us to be kids with no confidence, that don't know our dad. A kid that knows their dad, they'll look at you in the face. They'll talk to you. They'll have this confidence. Like, I know who I am. Look at orphans. They don't, they don't know how to look at, and some kids are just shy, and that's fine. But kids that dads are doing what they're supposed to do, they know their daddy, and they know, hey, I got a daddy that loves me. And they walk around confident. A lot of y'all, us are not confident people because we still have daddy issues because daddy never told you, hey, you have, you're valuable. Hey, I love you. Hey, I'm sorry. It's just true. Or sometimes it could have been on Mother's Day, it could have been your own mama. But God says, honor our parents and he says, love them. Again, children of God have this self-trust of, self-distrust in themselves. We, we carry this self-distrust. We do not trust ourselves. We trust the Christ in us. So let's look at verse four, and four through six. Paul says, though I myself, Paul's being real. He says, I'm just saying, Yogi Berra was an old baseball player. He used to say, it ain't bragging if you can back it up, right? You know, people say, well, I, I kind of dabble in that, you know. If you can really do it, like, you're just saying, I can do it. Now, there's a way to do that arrogantly, and there's a way to do that truthfully, right? When you go out for a job interview, you're not like, well, I, I, I might be able to help the company. What is the person going to say? Get out of here. You have no confidence. We don't want you to work for us. A confident person, there's nothing wrong with confidence. There's a line of confidence and arrogance, okay? We can abide in Jesus and be confident in Christ and know our king, not because ourselves. Look at what Paul says. Though I myself have reason for confidence, if someone has reason for confidence, he says, for I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Oh, they have confidence? Okay, you got skills? Me too. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like, I'm, I'm a smart dude. I'm, I'm not a buckethead. I got some things to bring to the table, especially as far as religious things. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what Jewish boys did. There's uh, there's some, even some scientific reasons why that's good. Um, God knew what he was doing. But that was a marker of being Jewish. And he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's like, I'm from the, I am a, a, a Jew. I am of the people of God. He said, of the tribe of Benjamin. 
There's some specificity there as, as, as to what that means. There's some different debates. But he's saying, man, I am from this pure tribe where people think um, that Jesus came from the line of Judah. But when he's saying that, he's like, I'm from this very, uh, this tribe that did what they were supposed to do in, in saying I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, I, I, am, I know the law. I, I, I do the law. He says, as to the law of Pharisee, he says, as to zeal, remember, he was a persecutor of the church. He's like, I did all the Jewish things. I did all the things I was supposed to. I was the highest ranking dude. And I had zeal. I had passion when I did it. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He said, if you, you think you're Jewish, I persecuted better than you. I did X, Y, and Z better than you. And a lot of us can probably claim that. I've done that sin or that sin world better than you. So what? You struggle with this? So what? I struggled with it too. But now I have Christ. And that's who changes the game. And that's what Paul is saying. And then he says, to add a little more, as to righteousness under the law, as to this justification under the law, I was blameless. No Jew could say anything against me. I had this perfect external record. Not internal. That's not what he's saying. He said, you want to look at my resume? My resume is killer, is what he's saying. It outdoes your resume. What do you got? He's saying, so you can, you can do this thing or that thing or sing or dance or prance and act and, and build a company. You know how to make money. You know how to write. You know how to communicate. So what, is what Paul is saying. God's children, guys, a lot of times when God empowers us, we have talent that we could use for evil. And God's saying, use that for good. Don't just go and use your job to, to build a bigger bank account or to build a reputation for yourself, even in the church, right? To go and build this platform or this thing. That happens in the church through music, through speaking. God says, who cares? Paul's like, who cares about that? And, and it's, remember, remember, we can have confidence. We can know who we are, but our resume doesn't define who we are. That's what Paul is saying. Your accomplishments don't define you. It's the Christ in you. It's that you are sons of God. Paul, again, had something to brag about in an earthly, worldly, humanly sense. And some of you have these things to brag about as well. Paul, but Paul was confident in Christ. He could talk about his accomplishments confidently in Christ and still bring him glory. That's what he's doing. He's not being fake humble or he's not being arrogant. He's confident in knowing the story that God gave him and how he is to glorify God with his story. And each one of you have a specific story that God is writing. It may not be the story you would write. I would be this or that. And, and God's given you certain skills. He's given you a background. He's given you an ethnic heritage. He's given you a town that you were born in. He's given you family. And he's writing the story. And God knows you. And some of you may not feel like Paul, and may, some of you may feel like, man, I got nothing. I got nothing to brag about. But the point is moot. It doesn't matter if you have a lot on your resume or nothing. He's saying it doesn't matter. Like The Rock used to say, if anybody knows. It doesn't matter. Because we are to brag or boast not in ourselves. But like Paul, we are rather to boast in Christ. And what he has done in us, and, and we're supposed to boast in what he will do when he comes again. That is our joy. 
True children of God, true partners in the gospel do what Paul says in verse 7. And there's so much more. Again, this is connected all the way to verse 11, but we're going to have to stop here at verse 11. Just let this sink in. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So we count our gain, our pride, and our pain, everything that we try to put in place of or over God, when we doubt him, when we judge him, Paul is saying, don't do that. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He echoes Jesus' words saying that we should be counting our gains as loss. And that is how we rejoice in loss. The church should rejoice in loss because true gospel partners, true children of God, glory not in themselves, but rather in Christ. You see, gospel partners know and love the gospel of Christ. And as we have counted uh, the, the story of our redeeming God as gain, then we start to see everything else is loss. You see, because God created everything good. And in his story, this gospel, he's called us to know what it, this, this creation that he came and that he created everything good and that there was this fall that happened. And see, in this fall, God knew that there would be this chasm that we would have to see our own loss. That's why he wrote the story, because we would count everything as gain, and God's saying, no, 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 I created you. In creation, he says, we have to see the fall, that we're broken, and that we need the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that we need this one who actually um, is, the, 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 as the Bible says, the, the second Adam. We see the first Adam, that means the first man. And in creation, we see this picture of, in Adam of who Christ would be. But there had to be this fall. There had to be this brokenness. Sin and death had to enter the world. Why? So that in the story, we could see, oh, like Paul. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm this and that. I can do this and that. Do you not know me? Do you not know what I can do? And Jesus comes and crushes all of that. And then he comes and says, no, if you find me, you actually have life. That's why he is our redemption. We must see our sin, our brokenness, and then we're called to see Christ in redemption, to see Christ as the redeemer, to see him as the true son of God, the true God-man who came and lived this perfect life and then lived 30-something years and then died on a Roman cross. and was, he, he was beaten and he was put on a cross and he physically died, but more than that, he, he emotionally and in anguish took on the anger or the wrath of God, the Father, on the cross. Imagine all that we count as gain that's really lost. Christ took that. He took all our sin so that we could know him, so that our righteousness could come from him and not of anything else. And then in that, our king rose again, and then he ascended, and he promised just like he ascended to come back again. And as we're going to sing, he's going to come in glory, and he's going to rule the world, and he's going to set everything right and he's called us to follow him and how do we follow him how do we rejoice in loss repent and believe i think rejoicing in loss is a good synonym for repenting and believe believing or dancing with tears think of that that's what it means to be a christian it's not that you're like do 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 ned flanders all everything's happy and you talk like this all the time no we're gonna cry we're gonna have pain we're gonna have hard times okay but in that we can actually have joy that's what paul is saying he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? 
Then he talks about all this loss. And that's the gospel. We're supposed to repent and believe. Where God comes moment by moment, every day, changing our mind is what repentance means. Think of a big ship turning and our minds being changed is what the word means, to repent. That's what we're doing every day. You're not just saying, I'm sorry for my sin. That's a starting point. But is your mind being changed of your sin? Are you hating the sin? Are you putting it to death and then believing in Christ more and more? That's what we're supposed to do. That's how you love God. That's how you rejoice in loss. That's how you can dance during the tears or with your tears. And so let's read verse 7 again and let this sink in. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So again, know here the words of verse 7 are, are, are compared um, to Jesus' thoughts on gain and loss. And we will see biblically that Paul was echoing Jesus' teaching of gain and loss. So this is the song we sang earlier on Matthew 6, 24. It goes to 28, but the song goes to 27. About this gain and loss, specifically how we rejoice in loss. Jesus already told us. Paul's echoing this. So we're going to end with Jesus' words on this to connect our teaching of how to rejoice in loss. Again, we sang this earlier. We'll sing this again next week. In Matthew 16, 24 through 27, right before Jesus has just promised to his disciples that the church would prevail here on earth. Matthew 16 is about the church prevailing. The text reads and Jesus says, hey, you guys are going to win. You're going to help bring about my kingdom. He says, my kingdom come, my will be done in Matthew 6. Then he gets to Matthew 16 and says, the church is going to come. And then he says, wait, but you guys, he tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself, not self-actualize, not become a better version of you and 17,000 roads to do. Ambition is not wrong. I'm a learner. Learning is good. But when you learn with the right heart, you learn for the right reasons and you build and you have ambition, gospel ambition instead of selfish ambition. That's what he's telling us to do. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself and take up his cross. Take up your instrument of torture. Good morning. It's not happy Mother's Day. Sorry. Take up your instrument of torture, electric chair, guillotine thing that would chop off your head, whatever. That's what, that's what the Roman cross was. It was their instrument of execution. He says, take that up, suffering, right? Rejoicing and loss. He says, and let him or her, again, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple, a learner of Christ. We're following Christ. We're learning after Christ. He says, now, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains a whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so today, we have learned from our text that that the church should rejoice in loss as they heed or pay attention to the warnings against the characteristics of gospel opponents. And we know the characteristics of true gospel partners who glory not in themselves, but rather in Christ. And guys, this allows us to live as Paul has set up in verse 127, to live lives worthy of the gospel where we can proclaim, like Paul, that this, this phrase of gain and loss, for me to live as Christ and to gain. He says, I mean, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So he flips it. He's echoing Jesus there. 
And guys, we can live for Christ and gain no matter what comes our way. And so let's worship our king today and let's rejoice in loss knowing that we have Christ as our king to worship and the privilege to know him as his sons and daughters. Let's worship in the spirit in that now. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you. We need you, Lord. You are so good. And so, Lord, just help us as we grow and, and, and struggle in this, Lord, learning how to suffer well. You, you've called us to this. You've um, brought us to a point, Lord, where we know that we're your children and we can be confident those that know you. And maybe we're in a different place. Maybe we're struggling. Maybe we're grieving, Lord. But we pray that we all, as Paul said, are able to rejoice in loss. And so teach us that, Lord, as we respond now in singing to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 